0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Life Plus God podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson and I am your host. And today I am here with someone who I like to refer to as my second dad, David Taylor. Welcome David. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: So today we are answering a really weird question that we have not addressed at all, but we've kind of tiptoed around it in this entire podcast. And the question is, is deconstruction good or bad for Mm. my faith? Um, And I just want to tell y'all the reason that I've invited David in to have this conversation with me is... Uh, I know that he's been on his own deconstruction journey and his faith that we've had a few conversations about. I've also, uh, I'm in the middle of my own deconstruction journey. Um, We both follow a lot of the same authors, a lot of the same podcasts who talk about this subject. And David Taylor is a spiritual director too. And so that's uh, an interesting conversation combination of being in spiritual direction and helping other people through their journey of faith while deconstructing your own journey of faith. And so I'm just really excited to dig into all of this with you, David.
1: I'm excited to be here with you.
0: So I want to start off with this uh, spiritual director idea. Could you give us a little bit of insight into what it means that you're a spiritual director and what led you into that?
1: Sure. Um, Spiritual direction is uh, such an interesting uh, field to work in. It's part of uh, spiritual formation, if you're familiar with that term. But a spiritual director is, uh, I like to tell people it's its less than a therapist, but it's more than just a good friend to have a cup of coffee with. Um, I've had training. I, I attended a uh, spiritual direction class out at Perkins for three years and uh, am what's called uh, certified as a spiritual director.
0: Bonafide.
1: Bonafide. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so I've had training on it and... I've also uh, before I was a spiritual director, I was also trained as a Stephen minister, and so those two dovetail around the area of learning to listen to people, and so I'm I'm pretty good at just letting people talk and not interjecting, not trying to one up. Uh, a lot of times, your friends, if you're going over a problem or you're dealing with a problem, you're talking to your friends you will experience what I call one-upping. They'll go, oh, well, I had a cousin that, you know, they were really bad off with this.
2: So I think I that it's
0: kind of like natural human behavior of like, we want to participate in the conversation yeah. and we want to be able to relate to what you're saying. And the way that I do that is through my right. own lens. But I think we've also all experienced instances when that's not helpful. Well, and I'm just trying to share with exactly. you. And yeah. I think
1: people are trying to, Put you at ease that you're not alone, mm. and you know they've experienced that too. What in fact, in fact, happens though is it diminishes your story's importance when somebody does that to you. So I don't do that. But spiritual direction is simply uh, you can imagine um, a person on a journey, on a spiritual journey, trying to discern God's will for their life. They could be dealing with a spiritual um, crisis. Maybe some strong-held belief they've had has something's happened in their life to make them question that. Um, Maybe they're deconstructing their faith, as we're going to talk about later, to use that term. And they simply need somebody to walk that path with them and reassure them that it's okay to have these doubts and questions and fears. Um, Part of my training involves uh, listening to not only to what they say, but what they don't say, and um, asking questions in a way that helps them uh, figure things out themselves. I don't, I don't ever inject my beliefs or try to lead people into a certain place, um, but simply give them a safe, sacred time, usually about an hour at a time, in which they are free to say or do or explore anything they want to. Uh, Now, I also am quick to point out to people if they get into some area that I'm just not qualified to help them with, I will still be there with them and I may help them find a therapist or a counselor or whatever they may need. And we can still meet during that time and talk about spiritual stuff, but I'm not going to try to veer off into psychology with them because I'm just not, that's not part of my skill set. Uh, but it's very rewarding work um it's one on one work it's very private um and it's it's holy it's it's such a sacred time to sit with somebody and provide that safe space um It's hard to put into words, but I've been blessed tremendously by it and I have five people right now that I meet with pretty regular
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I just love it.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. So let's let's make this a safe space. You're my spiritual director today. Let's make this a safe space for some questions and some sure. exploration. And um, because deconstruction is kind of a heavy topic. And I think that it's um, kind of a scary buzzword for yeah. people right now. Well, part
1: of it is simply the term deconstruction. Right. It sounds like uh, on first blush, it sounds like you're tearing down sacred pillars or you're tearing down your beliefs. And that's not really been my experience. Uh, Deconstruction started for me uh, with just simple questions. Um, You know, you can go back to your childhood and you're taught Bible stories. Uh, Even I was taught Bible stories and we weren't a church family. But I knew the story of David and Goliath, and I knew the story of the ark and uh, some others. So in my teens, that's a natural time for people to start questioning their parents, things their parents have told them, and many times it involves religious things. And so in the denomination I was attending in my 20s, questions weren't really, wasn't that they were allowed, they weren't answered. They, You were given uh, catchphrases or buzzwords or, you know, just pray about it and the Holy Spirit will give it to you. And I'm like, well, that's just not happening for me. When I came to TREACH, I found a place where I could ask those questions. And there were wise men and women who were much, well, <laughs> They were older than I was, and they would sit and talk to me about them. And some of them would even give me material that helped me question things. Like I remember one gentleman uh, gave me a book called The Lost Books of the Bible, and it contains things like the Book of Thomas and the Book of Pilate, and the Book of Mary, which are ancient writings. They didn't make the cut, so to speak, to be in Scripture. But there's great insight in those writings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I had a, I had a crisis. Um, you know, I went through uh, recovery uh, for alcoholism and, and drugs. And during that, a lot of things had to be reconstructed. I had to learn to look at the world differently. And uh, m- most people don't realize how much a part of recovery. Is your spiritual life, but you have to you have to reconstruct your spiritual life to for recovery to fit. Because again, from the denomination I came from, problems like that were simply you know well, you just need to get back on straight and narrow. Mm-hmm. You just need to pray to Jesus and that'll fix you. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't my experience in recovery. So I. I looking back preparing for this i've been thinking back on it i guess i've been in deconstruction for a while now and i love it <laughs> i like i'm like you i like to question, question
0: things question everything question everything
1: <laughs> <laughs> right trust but verify yeah.
2: well <laughs> um, and one ahead.
0: of my one of my favorite um benedictions that i've ever heard uh was from a pastor uh, at Oakland, uh, Reverend Justin Hancock, who mm-hmm. he uh, did a sermon on on doubting Thomas and how we give doubting Thomas a, a bad rap, and it was a beautiful mm-hmm. sermon. And he ended with the the benediction: May your holy doubts lead to sacred questions. Oh. And that is actually a lot of what I've based this podcast on of like, what are the sacred questions? What are the, the things that we need to be exploring? And I would say, you know, my deconstruction, um, I, it was more around college for me because it was the first time, you know, I grew up pretty much from the age of 10 on in Flower Mound, uh and it is a little bubble it's a it's a most people especially at the time that i was growing up in this community Uh, went to a church, Mm -hmm. and most people were raised in the faith in some way or another. There were different denominations that we did things differently, but it was the two questions of like, hey, uh, where do you go to school? Where do you go to church? You know, and that's how you got to know people, and it was just assumed. And then I go to college, and I'm like, wow, there are people who are raised differently than me. There are people from different cultures, different faith traditions, lack of faith entirely, who grew up atheist, who have never stepped foot in a church. Mm -hmm. And it kind of exploded my mind of like my limited understanding and arrogance of, uh, how God is at work in this world. And me sitting here, like, uh, it, it was just this, you know, mentality of the universe is so big, and Mm -hmm. I am so small, and who am I to claim that I know God in the only way that God presented God's self to the world, and Jesus is the only way and is Mm -hmm. the right way, and if you don't get it, then you're getting it wrong, and I'm just like, there is a whole world out there (laughs) that I've never experienced. And
1: and if you get it wrong... You're gonna burn. Yeah. You're gonna burn. I yeah. mean that was that was hung over my head for years in this other denomination. That if you get it wrong, you're gonna burn. And guess what? They knew exactly what the right way was. Yeah. But um, uh, some, I guess it started if I, if I really get down to the root with those Bible stories I learned as a child. Um, things like how the heck can you build a boat big enough to put every, two of every animal? that doesn't swim, in the boat. How does that work? And what happened to the boat? And, you know, I'd look it up in the Bible, and it's such a short story Mm. in the Bible relative to the whole Bible. Um, But that led me down a pathway of investigating Scripture. And when I got to TREACH, uh, our founding pastor, Bill Jacobs, would hold these small little Bible studies in somebody's house and they would let me come, and I could sit, and he would unpack these scriptures in such a way that it made sense. He didn't he didn't harp on whether or not you believe there was a boat. He looked at the lessons from that story. Uh, and then um, uh, Joe Schaefer was an associate pastor here for a long time. He helped me so much in unpacking uh, scriptures and things that folks from this previous denomination would just pull their hair out if you questioned, um, sacred things. like And, and I've heard you talk, touch on the, the virgin birth, um, the creation in six days, all these things that there are folks out there that get really, really upset if you simply ask a question. So look at the language Jesus puts out in his sermons, especially his Sermon on the Mount or uh, when he's talking uh, to large crowds, and he says things like, you've heard it said, blah, da, blah, da, blah, 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 but I say this, like, you've heard it said, do not kill, mm. but I say, if you have anger in your heart, you're just as guilty. That's deconstruction mm. to me. Yeah, I've made that
0: comment in a few circles that I think Jesus was a deconstructionist and they don't like that. No, they'll tar and feather you
1: and throw you (laughs) out. Yeah, (laughs) you got to be careful who you say these things to, unless you're on the safety of a podcast. See, you and I, we can say anything (laughs) we want right here and you're going to edit it up and it's going to be great. Um, But it's, I, I just, I get frustrated because personally, I don't see the the issue i don't see anything to be afraid of in questioning these things but i sense that my friends that are exhibiting some fear when i question these things is this little voice in their head saying you're going to burn
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and so that's another area i have deconstructed mm-hmm. right is this whole concept of hell and does a loving, creating, uh, you know, all-powerful God create people that God then foreknows are just going to burn for eternity? Mm-hmm. And and what does that mean? I mean, do we have feelings? Does our, does our skin still go with us and then it burns off and comes right back on so it can burn off again for all of eternity? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just a lot of questions around that. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't buy into or believe that we can stay separate from the love that's offered by God, if that's what we choose to do, because God loves us so much, he will let us make that choice. She will let us make that choice. But I just can't buy into Dante's Inferno image Mm. of hell. So I've deconstructed that. I'm still working on that, right? I don't have any of this figured out. That's I think I will be deconstructing my faith right up until I don't have to anymore.
0: Well, and I think that a part of deconstruction um, is—I feel like if I were to wrap it up in a bow of of all the things that that you've been saying, it's taking these— um, models that we that have been built for us as children, into our young adulthood, taking a look at them and saying, does this still stand? Um, does this model make sense? And we do that in everything else in the world. We do that in our education. We do that in our understanding of society. Like there are so many marriage. In, in marriage, like as kids, we are taught things on a very simplistic level, uh, in a way that we can grasp it and understand it. But I think that, um, Deconstruction is the act of moving into ongoing higher education around our spirituality and being willing to put a magnifying glass Mm -hmm. up to the things that we've always held and say, hey, um, is this accurate is this true is this true but there's more depth to it than i right. ever looked into before is there something different that i can learn from this and and for some reason it, it really scares people um and I would hope that that wouldn't be the same across all other facets of your life. If it does scare you, like I would hope that in your relationships, you're willing to learn and change and grow. In Mm -hmm. your career, you're willing to learn and change and grow. In Mm -hmm. everything else in your life, we're willing to do this. But for some reason in our faith, and I would argue also in our politics, we're not willing to learn and change and grow.
1: But even our church conversations and how— Each of us prefers to do church. We will hear things like, you know, well, they're just being sheep led to slaughter. Mm -hmm. They're, you know, that the wolf in lamb's clothing over there leading those people astray. And uh, and that just ain't church, right? But even how to hold church should be questioned because, um, you know, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't feel comfortable going to church that was held in the sixteen hundreds the way they held church, i don't have any clue what that was really like. I, I read be allowed stories
0: in. <laughs> I, I I would have been burned as a witch, honestly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but,
1: but um that's okay because i'm not i'm not living in the sixteen hundreds but i shouldn't judge them either mm. I'm sure they were sincere in their beliefs as as wrong as it may seem now to me so um much like everything else we've been talking about, it just it seems to me if if your faith and your beliefs can't stand up to a little bit of questioning, then I would question what do you really believe? Because um, for me, going through deconstruction or reconstruction, as I like to term it, uh, has made me more solid. In certain things that I do believe. I believe God is love. Now, I could spend a couple of hours explaining what I mean by that, because all those terms need to be defined. Um, that's the other thing I think we've lost is we each hear words when we have a conversation with somebody, and we don't really know what they mean by that word. Mm-hmm. You know, what do I mean when I say God? What do you mean when you say God? What do I mean when I say love? I, I think it's important to spend the time listening to each other to understand rather than listening to each other to convince. Mm -hmm. Like, that's why I like our conversation, you and I having conversations, um, because there's lots of times you you said things to me and I just walk away going, well, I I just don't know about that. (laughs) But...
0: (laughs) How many times? (laughs) Well, I've written them down. I've written them down.
1: But I always go away... From our conversations, uh, admiring your conviction and your ability to phrase how you believe, and so that causes me to then I- incorporate that somehow right in my beliefs and and parts that i can I can accept I do, and parts that I still need to question I said over here, and I'll come back to them mm-hmm. right. And then maybe some other writer I'm, I'm reading or some podcast I'm listening to will say something that references one of these things you've said. I go, well, maybe I need to listen to that. And so that's just how it's worked for me. I just question all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, even the things I've said that I've now firmed up and I really, really believe, even those are up for question. Mm-hmm. But it would take a lot To shake them now, because I'm just—I've—I've been through the fire with them. I've—I've let them, I've lifted them up Mm -hmm. to questions, um, and the answers come back: yes, this is solid. Mm.
0: Well, and I think a a misconception about deconstruction, like you said at the beginning, is like throwing your faith out the window. Yeah, it's not that, and it's not that at all. And it's actually deconstruction if. If you're trying to hang in there and you're trying to grow spiritually and you're real you're still seeking, and there are people who have thrown their faith out the window, I would argue that's not quite deconstruction. Yeah. It I don't know what I would call it. Um but that's, that's demolition. Yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe. But um I, I I think that it is a willingness to sit in the mysteries and that is really difficult to do. Damn. Um to not have answers because oh. The funny thing is you say, like, sometimes I'll make statements and I'm so strong in my convictions and I'm just sitting here thinking, well, no, I'm not. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Well, what like, I've
1: learned about you is being an eight in the Enneagram. Oh, yeah. You just say things like you really know them and you really don't. I and- know.
0: I was wondering when Enneagram would come up. <laughs> yeah, it's And as almost, a nine,
1: I just accept that about you.
0: Yeah, it's almost like I'm pressure testing it. Yeah. I put something out yeah. there that's been on my mind and I say it. uh with conviction uh but i'm just kind of testing the waters of like what do i really believe about this thing yeah. and then i send people like you into a whirlwind <laughs> of research <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: i like it i like it a lot and and i like um you mentioned sitting with the mysteries and that's been the the richest part of this journey for me is realizing there are some things um that look like most likely I will not understand Mm -hmm. and accepting that and being okay with that. Right. Um, and, and not, um, not letting that fester or make me angry. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think it's kind of absurd for us finite human beings to think we will ever understand an infinite Mm -hmm. God whatever God is to you, most folks I talk to that talk about a God talk about that God is infinite and has always been, always will be. Um, so how, how am I going to wrap my head around that in you know 80 or 90 years mm-hmm. of, of existence here?
0: It's like this paradox of like, Yes, God is infinite, but there are rules. Right. (laughs) I'm like, wait, huh?
1: (laughs) But I have experienced glimpses of giving myself to somebody else or um, doing something for no recognition or no return where I have caught a glimpse Mm. of that. And um, once I caught a glimpse of it, I wanted more, and it just—it's it, a paradox. It makes no sense that to catch a glimpse of it, you have to not even be looking for it. It's like, um, like watching something in your peripheral, peripheral vision. As soon as you look at it, it's gone. But if you just—or—or um, or you remember the—I uh, forget what the posters were called, but you had the to magic rel- eye posters. You had to relax yep. to see it. Uh, it's like that. You have to relax to see it, and you have to um, just accept that you you may see part of it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to understand it, and you may not get all the answers you want, um, but it's so thrilling to catch a glimpse.
0: Isn't it funny how in this process, you know, you said what started me off on deconstruction are you know i would ask questions and i the the response i would get are these canned mm. phrases like well only god knows or we yeah. will never understand god's plan or whatever it is and then we go into deconstruction and we're willing to sit in the mystery <laughs> and we basically come to the same conclusion <laughs> but, no, it, it's there, different. but it's different it is and different. and there it it's um as opposed to dismissive and not exactly. and being unwilling to sit in the discomfort of the question, right. you are you sit in the discomfort of the question, and maybe the person who was giving you that canned response, maybe they had done the work and didn't know. I mean, may- maybe I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> and came to that conclusion, but. Um, yeah, it is interesting how it usually does come back to, with the really, really difficult questions right. of, like, there is no way to know.
1: Right. But, you know, circling back to uh, words and and words and their meanings, I, I think that has been enlightening to me in my um, study of Scripture, uh, in my time with Nick and some others that— um, we're willing to unpack the Hebrew meaning or the Greek meaning. Jo- uh, Daniel does a great job right. of that in his sermons, where yeah. he'll give you the Latin or the Greek or the whatever, or or fill in some cultural settings so that you understand the story or why this story would even be important. Um, and so because there there's in so many of the Bible stories, um, you know, one of the characters is is a king. Well, I have no idea what that's like to have a king. I mean, we have the king and queen over in England, but that's really not what they're talking about in the Bible. They're talking about somebody had absolute power and authority over you and owned everything you owned anyway, mm-hmm. right? I don't know what that's like. But the king is always a character or usually a character in the story. Um, and, and then, you know, there's, there's other characters. So one technique somebody taught me years and years ago Was plugging yourself into the stories. But along with that, they also taught us to rewrite the story in our own language. So, um, just one of my all time favorites, because I really don't understand why it's even in there. It makes no sense from a business standpoint. But there was this landowner who went out to the market and hired a few people early in the morning to come work Mm -hmm. his land and promised to pay him, you know. $100 or so to do that. Then he went out at noon and got some more. And then he went out at 3 o'clock and he got some more. And then at 5, when the day was over, he paid them all the same. And, of course, naturally, and in my opinion, rightly, the people that hired on early in the morning were upset about that. Well, why is that story even in there? What am I supposed to learn about this that, you know, doesn't matter about labor relations, <laughs> you just pay people what you want to pay them? No, I think it's much deeper than that 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 God's abundant love it's not about um receiving some carrot at the end of the trip. It's about spending as much time as you can in working with the Lord. Mm. The people that hired on early were actually blessed because they were with the landowner all day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: the The people that came in the afternoon, yeah, they got the same reward if you want to look at it that way, but they were only there a short time, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, I look at folks that, <clears throat> uh, you know, another church phrase we use is "come to the faith" near the end of their life. Well, that's great. I'm happy for them. But boy, you've missed so much. Yeah. You know. Um, I look at you. You've been you've been a Christian as long as I've known you. You know, you didn't always call yourself a Christian. You went through that one period. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You've always been I still don't use the word Christian very (laughs) often, if I'm being honest. I just that word
0: carries a lot of weight now. Well, (laughs) we need
1: to unpack that. Yeah. (laughs) But you've always been a very spiritual, a very loving, a very caring person from Gosh, I don't know how old you were, 12, 13, 14 years old when I first met you.
0: I was 9 when you first met me. Man. <laughs> I'm, I'm a lot older than I thought I was.
1: <laughs> Let's say 12, 13, 14. Okay, that that's makes fine. me feel better. But you've always exhibited those loving qualities and and looking out for other people and but at the same time you're very strong-willed and able to speak your mind. And so I've seen people react to you As if you weren't loving because you do speak your mind, when I see you as very loving and you love people enough to speak your mind, Mm -hmm. right? So a lot of it's perception. So I don't know why I got down that rabbit trail. But stories in the Bible use words and phrases and settings that I think we have to spend time understanding. Or we're just we're just skimming across the surface of the ocean. There's so much in the deep if we just take the time to get down there and figure it out.
0: Well, and I think that that's a good point because I think deconstruction is also learning not to take things at face value. Um, because when you were sharing that story about uh, the employer who mm-hmm. who paid all three employees the, the same, uh, even if they had only worked for an hour, I have heard someone preach on that story to say... Um. this is why you don't talk about money. This is why you don't share your salary. It only sows discontent. You don't want to compare yourself to other people. And to me, when I hear Scripture being used in that way and being preached that way, um that is benefiting the oppressor. Mm-hmm. That is scripture to benefit the person with the money and say I I can pay whoever I want whatever I want and y'all don't talk about it because then I don't have the power. That's right. And that's what sends me into deconstruction is sure. hearing the misuse of scripture and it drives me crazy cuz sure. I'm like you got to you got to sit with it you got to let it marinate and you right. have to look through it I mean I think that something I would hope something that we can agree upon is uh Jesus came for the oppressed God is here to serve all, like to, to love all of us, but Mm -hmm. specifically to remind the weak and the meek and the underserved that I'm here for you Mm -hmm. too, because the people who are on top, they don't really question is, is God present in my life as much because they're seeing all of the blessings of this world. Mm -hmm. Uh, but for those on bottom Jesus came for those people Mm -hmm. and, um, I hear it so often preached the opposite because uh, the Christian faith has become the dominating faith in throughout the world. And uh, there, and that sends me again into deconstructing spirals of, and and that's what really gets me is um, because I actually grew up with a very open understanding of, of scripture because I can't, and I guess I would have to attribute it to, everyone in my childhood, from pastors to Sunday school teachers, to my parents of, I don't remember thinking that the story of Noah's Ark was a factual story. I don't remember believing that Mm -hmm. Jonah being swallowed by a whale was a factual story. I remember learning about the truth's in that story and that truth is different from fact right. um, and that it's a it's a teaching tool. And right. so in that sense, it never really scared me to ask questions about those things. Right. What scared me is when I went off to college and I saw not everybody raised in the Christian faith was raised that way and that there are people who are afraid of Christians because of uh, the perceived absoluteness. Right. And that's when I was like, oh, boy, like there is some work to be done here. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. And and I think, uh, well, you were probably uh, around Methodist churches mostly, I I grew think. up Methodist. Yeah. yeah. And that's a very Methodist way of teaching those stories. Um, the other denomination, I mean, I didn't even go to church regularly until I was like 15. Mm-hmm. And then it was because there was a cute girl there and I was following her. But... We had Bible studies, regular Bible studies, and um, talked about all these things. But in that denomination, um, for instance, the creation story it, it was it was six days by God, and and that's it. You know, you, it was six twenty four hour days, and the whole thing was created, mm-hmm. and you didn't question any of it. If you did, that meant you had a faith problem. Mm. You just need to believe. And I, so so to get into. Uh, like I I've, I've found this one podcast that went through all this uh, trouble to unpack the book, what we call the book of Genesis, which was actually a scroll to begin with, without chapters and verse numbers. So the literary writers of Genesis used literary movements, so to speak, kind of like, you know, in a, in a musical you have movements. So there are movements in Genesis that you can see through the verbiage and the wording and the cut off of this story in the beginning of this story um, to to tell a st- they use the movements to tell a story, and it's so much deeper and richer mm-hmm. than just six friggin days i mean yeah. it, it there's so much more there um, and it's just frustrating to me when I get excited when I find something like that and I want to share it, and there's you know uh, somebody that, oh, well, you can't be teaching that.
0: I was going to ask, what has been your experience and how people have reacted to your deconstruction journey?
1: Um, you know, not not all of it has been uh, favorable. I mean, even, uh, well, just... Depending on what what I say and how I say it i've I've gotten very good at just not saying everything I'm thinking at the time.
0: Way to go, I'm not you know, good at that. I, I, mean, <laughs> I need to get better at that.: I, I'm
1: getting better at reading the room. Hmm. Uh, that's why I like hanging out with you so much because I can just say whatever I want to say, <laughs> and you accept it and you go, yeah that that's probably crazy, but yeah, I'm glad you said that. Um, because not a lot some of my friends uh feel very threatened that not that you're necessarily leading them down a the wrong path because by God they ain't changing, mm. right? But that you might lead somebody else down a wrong path. And I I don't want to lead anybody anywhere. I just want to talk about things. I just want to throw out an idea. What if it's like this? What if you mentioned uh doubting Thomas and the wonderful sermon you heard, you know, and uh the way you wrapped it up. I love that. I've often thought Judas Mm kind of got a bad rap from not only from us, but from all the disciples. Because if you notice, every time he's mentioned after that, it's Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus. Mm -hmm. Even when he's introduced, when Jesus first, then he recruited Judas, the one who later betrayed him. You
0: make one mistake.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You you get one guy crucified Ah. and they just throw you out. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of ways to read that story. And there's a lot of unanswered questions. That's another beautiful thing that I really like about Scripture is not all the stories are wrapped up in nice little bows. Not all the questions are answered. And I think that's on purpose. I think we are meant to sit with it and to question it and to let it uh, ferment, so to speak, in our own mind and to gel around. I think that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and you hear people, even even friends that say they don't question anything, will tell you things like, you know, I read Scripture differently. I read this Scripture I've read a hundred times, and it said something different to me. Well, how'd it do that if it's always the same, mm-hmm. right? Because it's not always the same. Mm-hmm. I think there's some some understanding that comes from letting Scripture uh, resonate with you through the day. That's That's what... I encourage people, if you're going to get into uh, like a morning devotional routine, whether it's a, a devotion like the upper room or you're reading some scripture or whatever it is, it doesn't matter, walk with it through the day, right? If you, if you have to carry it around with you because your day's busy, from time to time, reread that. Let that gel around in your head and see what the Holy Spirit does with that. Because I think that's how we grow and uh, begin to understand what the Scripture is trying to tell us. It's not, for me, it doesn't work to, you know, well, the Scripture says that I believe it, and that's that. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work.
0: So, in your, your journey, you said there are some things that you now stand by. Is is there anything in your faith that you have stopped questioning? What are the things that you stand strong in and you say, this is what I believe that has made it through this mm-hmm. deconstruction so far? <laughs> oh, so far.
1: <laughs> well, God is love. I said that earlier. I, I think um, God is the embodiment of this idea that we have we call love. This uh, giving away in order for something else to be. Um, That's God. Um, What else? Boy, there's so much I've not hung on to. Um, I think one thing I'm certain of is Uh, nobody has it.
2: Mm.
1: Nobody. Um, And and when I say that, I mean uh, not only just Christians, but of all the people on the planet and all the religions and all the non-religions and all the naturalists and all these things, I don't think any one of them has it. But I think collectively it's there somewhere. Mm. And uh, because we can no longer sit in the same room, not only as Methodists, much less as Christians and Muslims and naturalists and atheists, um, because of that, it's being kept hidden from us. If we could somehow come together collectively as humanity and listen to understand, I think we could move a little closer Mm
0: -hmm. to getting it. Yeah. yeah. If, we could, if we could get together and just yes and each other of uh, like, yes, and also this from our tradition, yes, and also this from mm-hmm. our tradition, as opposed to no, but. <laughs> you
1: know, that's a great lesson I learned. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, one of my sons, when he was at Texas Tech, he was in an improv group mm-hmm. and with a gentleman that is now my son-in-law. And so Thanksgiving with those two is a hoot. But one of the basic rules of improv is yes, and. Mm-hmm. And so no matter what your partner throws at you, yes, and, and you go with it. And I, I think that's a great analogy for how we should be with each other, that you may you may throw out something that, that uh, seems foreign to me, but if I can yes, and, and tag it with something that I believe, maybe together those two things could become... A greater truth Mm -hmm.
0: Um, The caveat that I would put on that Is through the lens of love mm. Right Because in all of our faith traditions There are things that we need to let go of There are the rules and legalities that Jesus was like, no, 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 it's not about that, and yet See, somehow we still cling to them, and it's the same in the Muslim faith right. and in uh, the Hindu faith and in all of these things. There's such beauty in each of these faith traditions, but there's also darkness See, in each would, of our faith traditions. I would,
1: I would add um, that through the lens of love is with the presence of God. Mm-hmm. When when God is present, and and we're uh, tuned in, to use an old radio tune, then I think we are operating through the lens of love mm-hmm. because God is love. And and the closer we can um, tune ourselves into that, then the better we can hopefully understand each other. Um, and unfortunately, what we see is just the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Not only am I not going to yes and you, I'm going to point out where you're wrong and why you're going to burn and you know <laughs> all that ugliness. And then we just stop talking because nobody wants to sit in a room like that.
0: Yeah. I think that one of the, so I'm on the same page of God is love is one of the conclusions that I've come to. And I think that another uh, soft conclusion, let's say that I've come to um, is the Holy spirit is real. Mm-hmm. And, I, the whole Trinity thing, I don't get it. I don't, I can't hang my hat on that, but the Holy Spirit, uh, whatever you want to call it, the energy of Christ, the, the God presence on earth, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. um, I have felt that in tangible ways and I, um. But there's so much mystery around it, I can't even put language to it. But I just, I know that's something that I feel certain in. The Holy Spirit is real. I don't know anything else. (laughs) Yeah. And,
1: you know, the other thing I have experienced, I agree with what you said, uh, it is real. And I've experienced the Holy Spirit um, in solitude, but it's so much richer when I experience it. With others. So there's something about two or three are gathered and the spirit is there. And and we're all acknowledging the spirit is there. Um, there is something very powerful about that. And, it, and it's it, it starts to sound like, you know, we're conjuring it up or something. And I don't think that at all. I think the Holy Spirit is like the air we breathe. it's it's around us all the time and it's always present. We're just not always aware of it. But when we're aware of it and we're aware of it with others and they know we're aware of it and we know they're aware, it's just so strong. And um, it, it's a it's an actual feeling. I, I start crying. Of course, you know that about me. I just start crying. But that's just the way it manifests itself in me. I just mm-hmm. can't hold it in. Others sing. Others start dancing. Whatever you do, that's that should be fine. Yeah.
2: Um
0: well and that that's one of the the reactions I think that I get from people when I talk about my deconstructing experience sometimes it's perceived as irreverence because I am questioning mm-hmm. a, a belief that has been held dear mm-hmm. um but it couldn't it couldn't be more opposite oh. than that and I think it's actually going from my deconstruction journey has been uh, from the mindset of scarcity to only, from only a few things are sacred to abundance and everything is sacred. Exactly. Everything Richard is Rohr sacred. Richard Rohr talks about that. I know he does. <laughs> <laughs> the,
2: the
1: universal Christ is yes. opened by eyes to the presence of the Holy Spirit in everything. And, yes. In every place I am is sacred. Yeah. And, and um, uh, you know, even some of the stories in the Bible when, when um, uh, let me get it right, Jacob uh, had sent all of his people over on the other side of the river and he's going to confront his brother the next day. And so he lays his head on a rock. Then he has this famous vision of the ladder and angels going up and down and all that. He wakes up the next morning and declares, oh, this was a sacred place. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a sacred place even before he showed up and he just now realized it mm-hmm. and i see all of creation that way now that it's all this is a sacred time it's all sacred but it's also there's some ugliness around and it's hard to put into words but even even the ugliness is sacred and i learned this from reading about I struggle uh, with that one. Mother Teresa. Yeah, you're, read, you're better at that than read I Read about Mother Teresa because she worked and ministered in one of the worst places on the planet as far as human suffering and filth and crime and just all kinds of problems there in Calcutta. And people asked her, and she was just a small, frail woman. And people asked her, why here? Why are you ministering here of all places? And she said, this is where Jesus is. She saw Christ in those people. And that's how she was able to be there. I'm not there. Yeah, I struggle with the ugliness.
0: Yeah. Well, and I like my comforts, too. I think I contribute yeah. <laughs> to the ugliness. Like I, because um, there are so many times that I, it's easy to become judgmental mm-hmm. when, and um when you're deconstructing and your mind is expanding as a result of that and you're seeing things differently, Mm -hmm. it can become tempting to look at people who are not deconstructing and are not uh, open to it as small. And that's not, that's not true at all. Um, And I get, I have to, it's again, it's just the arrogance. It's the arrogance of like, oh, I've, I'm getting closer. I'm getting think closer.
1: Of, think, I like to think of uh, Jesus and the night that uh, Nicodemus came to visit him. Now, here's Nicodemus, a, a scholar, a, a rabbi, coming to this lowly uh, guy that people seem to be following and starts a conversation with him. And Jesus says something about being born again. I like to Rephrase it as being renewed or refreshed, or seeing the world with different eyes, and Nicodemus just takes it at surface value. Well, how can you do that? You can't yeah. do that. And Jesus is so patient with him. He's he's firm, but he's very patient. I mean, he could have just said, you know, well, you're an idiot. Just go on back, <laughs> and he didn't. So, I just need to be patient with people because um, I didn't. I didn't. Um, like i I'm still on a journey, I am still deconstructing, mm-hmm. and it probably will be for the rest of my life, but not everybody has put in the time or the work or wants to and that's fine. you don't have to. God loves you, God's gonna love you um and and you you're free to leave your life any way you want to. Mm-hmm. I choose to do this
0: well, and that's some of the the feedback I get as well is. Um, what's the point? It's just like staring at your own belly button. <laughs> like the the question, why, you shouldn't be asking why, you should be asking yeah. what. What is God asking you to do? What is, you know, all of this thing? And I'm like, mm, more pithy phrasing. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with staring at your belly button for a little bit. Well,
2: I've
1: stared at mine, it's never approved.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it, it gets like a, a, I don't know, like it's, frowned upon yeah. to be sitting and asking why over and over and over again. Well, I don't know if it's because it's, it frustrates I'll, people because be there's honest. not an answer. I'm
1: gonna I'm give you a little insight. I went to uh, spiritual direction uh, training the very very first class and um, I'd been led into this because a a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine here at TREACH, came to me one day and wanted to know if I'd ever heard of this and I said no and She said, I think you'd be a good spiritual director. You should check it out. And so I took that as okay (laughs) and started checking it out. And I signed up and it cost some money, Mm -hmm. you know, and time. But I was retired at that time and I thought, well, that's something to do. So I go out to Perkins at SMU. Now, I never went to college. I'm not a college kind of guy. And... I, I walk in there, and I'm scared to death, and, in, and um, everybody there just seems so spiritual and in tune, and, you know, these great prayers are right just to have a meal, and I'm like, man, I, I just shouldn't even be here. And the very first class, they sent us over to the museum there at Perkins, and they've got this beautiful art museum. And the assignment was to find a painting, any painting, sit and stare at it, for about a half an hour, and let it speak to you, and then write about what the what the painting spoke to you about what <laughs> so I go over there and I'm looking at this painting, and I mean it's all right, it's pretty, you know colors are nice I, I'm like I, I don't get it and and I'm writing stuff like, well, there's a sheep, and the sheep's getting a drink out of the water, and there's a guy, and you know, and I'm just just crap and we get back into class and my classmates are like i just felt the holy spirit flow through the colors into my soul you know and, and i'm like david you want to read yours i'm like, no nope.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no i really
1: don't and they were so kind um to to just love me where i was yeah. um that particular professor because i had a different professor every time i went out there that's part of the program that particular professor was uh, so sweet and so patient and so kind. And um, the, the end of the um, thing, for the because you, you go and you have like two or three months where you're working on your own. And so the assignment was similar. He, he gave us a list of books. He said, pick any of these you want, read the book, let the book speak to you, and write about what the book spoke to you about. Well, they're not, uh, it just, it didn't make any sense. And, uh, so I wrote the paper finally and you have to email it into him and everything. And I fully expected him to write back, like, you know, I don't even know why you're in this program. We need to get you out of here. We'll give you a full refund if you want, but you don't need to be here. And he didn't, he, he commented on my comments and, and, Pointed out some insightful things. I was like, really? That's insightful. I went back and read it. You know, I was like, you're kidding, that's insightful. But it just gave me the confidence that maybe I could do this. And then each time I went out there, there was more of that kind of stuff where you you're you're sitting and contemplating your own naval kind of things, you mm-hmm. know. And I would I would get out there and go, Oh, this is a bunch of hooey. If my buddies saw me, they'd just laugh, you know, this is nuts. I still have all that work that I did, and it's so meaningful to me. And it just it taught me um, that, you know, maybe there's more to me than I thought there was.
0: Mm. One of the things I loved about your story of your time at Perkins that I think that you deserve credit for and goes into deconstruction is just your complete honesty mm. of it would have been easy for you to go in and just play along and make something up. And maybe <sighs> some of the people in the class were doing that, pretending that to be, be insightful and to be hearing from the Holy spirit. And cause sometimes yeah. I wonder about that when people, um, are talking about like these deep, meaningful moments, when God spoke to them, I'm like, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it feels like you're kind of turning on the drama a little bit, but okay. Yeah, yeah. And I think that um, I the fact that you weren't going to pretend you were going to show up as you were and be completely honest with the program, even if it meant maybe you felt a little bit embarrassed or you felt a little bit intimidated, I think that that is part of the deconstruction process as well of like, you you have to come honestly. Well, you you do. Yeah.
1: It doesn't do you any good to enter this work without honesty and humbleness. Um, I've learned that much that, that uh, I have to tell myself, I don't know all the answers. uh, And I may not even know how to phrase a question, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to ask it anyway and see where it leads me. And um, with the right person, uh, you can you can usually at least figure out how to properly ask the question. You may not always find the answer. Like I said earlier, you, there's some things that just we're not gonna know. Mm-hmm. Um but at least I know now what the question is. And so thank you for that. I appreciate that those words.
0: Do you think I think that a lot of what that you've been talking about of your own deconstruction journey? For the most part, it seemed like a really healthy version of deconstruction. Do you think that there is such a thing as unhealthy oh, yeah. deconstruction? You do? Yeah. Okay, because I wasn't sure. I was I think, like,
1: oh. <clears throat> some people will um, enter, and and I did have a, a dark time uh, that wasn't healthy, and I'll I'll get into that just a little bit. Um, I had a brother, my little brother. Uh, Hank, died in um, 2009 from uh, melanoma that had resurfaced and metastasized, and and it took him. And during—it took about six months from when we knew it came back to when he was gone. And during that time, um, it was very difficult for me. I prayed. I read Scripture. I tried to understand— Um, I begged, I made bargains, um, I, you know, I got angry. I remember one night in a parking lot in New Orleans, he had gone to New Orleans with me on a business trip and then had to leave in midweek. And I sat in a parking lot and just cursed at God, just yelled at God, you know, what the hell, um. What do you want Do you know, you need some kind of sacrifice, you know, sacrifice. Uh, I mean, so all of that came into play. This idea that God has to be appeased or for God to do something for you, you have to win God's favor. Or if something bad's happening to you, that means you're a sinner.
0: Do you think that you, you really believed that at the time or were you kind of reverting back to your upbringing?
1: Well, it's hard to say because there was a lot of emotions. I yeah. kept a diary. One thing I did do during that time is I kept a diary. And it helped to just put pen to paper to write out the frustrations. Mm. Um, and I still have that diary. And I haven't looked at it in the...
0: At all? In the No. Mm.
1: It's too dark. And I may someday go back and look at it and see uh, if I can read some of those things, but it, it was very dark. I was um, I was close to uh, just, you know, throwing it all out the window because it just didn't make any sense. Hank was 48 years old. Hank was a good guy. He wasn't perfect, but he's a good guy, and he was my brother.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So had I done something wrong? Had he done something wrong? You know, God just needed one more angel. I mean, all that kind of crap. I didn't want to hear any of that. What I came to the conclusion of, though, was that none of that was accurate. Um, People get cancer. Um, People get melanoma. You you stay out in the sun too long, you got a good shot of getting melanoma. Some of us are just genetically deposed to getting cancer. People die all the time. At one point, I did some research. How many people die in America every day? And it's it's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, So I came to the idea that none of that happened because of anything. All of that happened because it just happens. And it just happened to me. That's all. God still loves me. God loved Hank. Mm -hmm. And Hank is with God now. And God was with me as Hank died, and God was with Hank as he died. God has been with our whole family as Hank died, and others have died since then. So I just had to get through the grief, right, without throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. But I had, I really questioned a lot of beliefs about appeasing God and sacrifices and— um
2: I, what what
0: I, part of that do you think was unhealthy? Because I haven't heard anything yet. Because grief, grief is a whole nother episode, right? Well, and, the
1: unhealthy part was I was deep in my alcoholism and hmm. uh, drug abuse at that point. And it just escalated it to the point. This is the only good thing that came out of that, is it escalated it to the point that I had a, a rock-bottom experience and I got sober. Mm. Two months after he died um, and I may not have gotten sober had he not died mm. now i I don't like to i don't i don't like the way that sounds no but um
0: because then it leans into oh, this was all part of God's plan, no. and you're like, no, I would have rather had my brother oh absolutely, yeah,
1: absolutely um and i would have i would have experienced some other rock bottom, i'm sure,
2: yeah
1: um but uh, I, it, it was very, very dark for me because I, I, I do remember consciously thinking, you know what, I don't need you. Mm-hmm. I don't need any of this. This is all crap. I don't need it. If this is the way years of going to church and reading the scripture and giving money and helping people, if this is the payoff,
2: mm-hmm.
1: forget it. But... Um, so, in my recovery process, sobering up and going through that, working with a very good sponsor, um although we didn't address that specifically, it did come up from time to time. Um, I began to find other root feelings deep, deep down that I'd had since childhood that had 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 actually led me to uh drinking and and smoking pot, um, and so now all that's gone, right? Um, living every day sober, and um, miss Hank, but I've I've learned that um, I can talk to Hank anytime I want to, and I do. Uh, so, in many ways, he's still with me, um, and and I'm much healthier now. Um, Having go, spiritually and physically. Um, spiritually, in that I, I'm able to sit with people who are going through similar grief processes and not be afraid of it, mm. right? Grief used to scare me in other people. If you were grieving heavily for somebody, I could, I could not handle it. Now I've been through the fire, and it's okay, and I can sit with you. And let you talk and cry and cuss God mm-hmm. and get upset and question and be okay with all
0: that. I think that part of it is real. Because I, um, I experienced grief for the first time a couple of years ago. And I, I've talked about that in a right. few different episodes. And it's realizing that grief is not a problem for you to solve. is yeah. <laughs> a big it's, part of it. And for myself and for others. Yeah. Um, and that people, I hear people say, well, I just don't know what to say. Well, then you don't have to say anything. anything. (laughs) You don't have to say anything.
1: It's much more meaningful to just sit Mm -hmm. and be there with you and be okay that nothing's being said. Because as you experienced, that person doesn't need you to say, there's nothing to say. Mm -mm. It just sucks. I, I miss them. Um but it yeah it's it's um it's uh, until you've gone through it like i know you did uh it's hard to explain
0: well and i so i was thinking about unhealthy deconstruction and then it did pop into my mind i think this might have more to do with my personality than anything <laughs> um i don't think i cuz i've caught myself doing this a few times It is not healthy for me to try and deconstruct others. Oh no. And so that would be unhealthy deconstruction. And it's not because I'm intentionally trying to do it, but it's more of like when I ask a holy question that I get very excited about and I want to dive in deep and I want to talk to everybody about it and I want to, you know, I get very passionate and then I step into this space of pulling people into deconstruction who are not ready for it and Mm -hmm. who did not ask for it and who did not give (laughs) permission for it. Right. That's unhealthy.
1: Yeah, you can't do that. I I had to learn that myself because I, I lead uh, Bible studies, or at least I used to, lead Bible studies mostly with men. And uh, for a period, I took it upon myself to challenge all these core beliefs with Bible studies. And it just led to arguments. It's not healthy for anybody. What I have learned is I have found... Uh, Five or six people that I know, I can ask any question I want to, and they will engage me in conversation. They may not understand the question, they may not agree with the question, or agree with where I'm going with it. uh, But I I value their presence, and I love the fact that they give me the freedom to do that. Mm -hmm. I have others that I've learned I have to be very very careful what I say. And so when they come back with, you know, a catchphrase or a, you know, Bible says that I believe it kind of statement, I simply say, okay, mm-hmm. because that's where they're at. And that's okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I just so badly want people to come with me. <laughs> like, I, it's I so just hard them. Don't me. you want to fix them? It's not even about <laughs> fixing them because I think that wondering. Is so exciting I do too And and uh, I've always had a very active imagination And I love writing I love storytelling I love uh, just pondering I love it And so it just uh, I don't understand when people don't But there are so many people who that's just not for them. My sister being one of them. She is not a ponderer. Um, And it's not that she is against deconstruction in any way. She's not. It's just not something that she's passionate and excited about. And she doesn't need it. It,
1: Well, and that's okay. It's not for everybody. I mean, you know, to me, it's not much different than uh, the different types of movies. Um, I like Action movies. I like science fiction movies. I love time travel oh, me too. movies. Um, I don't care much for Hallmark movies, or you know, where you know two really good-looking people meet in a card shop, and then there's a crisis, and then they fall back in love. Uh, but for some people, that's exactly what they want to mm. sit and listen to, and they don't like the action and the time travel and the and all that. And that's okay. I I see it as kind of similar. I'm like you. I have an active imagination. I love storytelling. Uh, I usually tell folks I've never heard a good story I couldn't make better. You know, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I like to, especially with Bible stories, I love to play with them and do the what-ifs or inject myself or bring it into modern time. How would this play out today? Mm-hmm. What, who would the characters be and try to make it more relative? Um I think that 's why I enjoyed working with the youth is because I could use my imagination to help them engage uh, in scriptural stories uh, but it's it's not for everybody, and that's okay. I just had to learn that that's okay. I just have to find my peep my tribe mm-hmm. that it's okay for me to play with and then set up times that we can do that. I have a group of guys um that come to my house about once a month. And uh, the only rule we have is there is no limit on the questions we can Mm -hmm. ask. And I love that time. We sit for about an hour and a half in my backyard once a month and get very irreverent and very, you would fit right in, except you're not a guy. Well, I
0: fit in, I fit in with the guys just fine. (laughs) I always have.
1: We may have you over as a a token guy someday.
0: Gender is a construct. (laughs) (laughs) Deconstructing. I love it. I love it. Um, No, I think that that has been become like a theme of my spirituality is everything is sacred. Nothing is off limits. Right. Like, well, and,
1: and I know you've done, uh, a lot of work uh in the LGBTQ+ plus community. And um I've dipped my toe in it, but I consider myself a um
0: ally. What, ally. Yeah. Although yeah, I don't you know are You're an ally. Yeah, I, you I are. I consider
1: myself an ally. Uh and and in many ways that has also been a deconstructing journey especially for me mm. because growing up here in North Texas um I the things I heard about folks in that community were never good right back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as with anything else, anything you're taught as a child is deep rooted and it's hard to weed out cuz those feelings come back. Those they always sprout back up and you got to weed them out again. But meeting some friends over at Oaklawn and getting to know uh, some other people in, in my family circle uh, that are members of the LGBTQ plus community. I've deconstructed all those fears about them. And now I'm starting to, to learn about their journey and uh, them as people. And, um, you know, there's one gentleman in particular I had a conversation with. This was years ago. And I... I just asked him, I said, well, now that we're buddies and everything, can you tell me when you decided you were gay? And he kind of laughed. He said, well, I really didn't make a decision. He said, let me ask you, when did you decide you were heterosexual? I said, well, I'm not sure what you mean. I said, "If you mean like when did I notice girls? And and he said, yeah. And I said, oh, well, really pretty early, like nine. You know, <laughs> I was pretty interested. He said, well, it was the same for me, but it wasn't girls. Mm-hmm. And it just opened my eyes that, well, this was as natural for him, except he was in a setting. He was in a, a, a family of uh, coal miners in the, in the North. In his setting, there was nobody to go to. And everything he was hearing was these feelings were wrong.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So he ignored them for a lot of years. And I mean, his life was miserable.
0: Well, and, and I think that You know, you were talking about deconstructing your fears around this community. That's what Jesus did over and over again. He tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Well, there was fear Mm -hmm. around the Samaritans. And they were not expected to be the helpers, not expected to be the person who would do good. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, I'm going to deconstruct that for you. Let's get rid of some of that fear. Exactly. Um, And and he did it with... um, the The woman at the well, mm-hmm. and he did it with the, the adulteress woman, oh, yeah. who everyone was ready to stone to death, and the lepers, and, the, and everybody. And the he tax was,
1: collectors, you know. Yes. He, he goes to that one town, and that guy. All of
0: these constructs yeah. that we have around stereotyping people and making judgments about who they are, Jesus was about deconstructing all of that. All of
1: that. All of that. He went to that one town, where um, I'm a really dig deep. Zechariah climbed the tree. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbed yes. the tree. And you know, Jesus said, well, I'm going to have dinner at your house. Mm-hmm. Well, don't you think there were like some poor widow women there he could have been with or, or some lepers he could have been with or, you know, anybody. Instead of a the, tax collector who's officials? been cheating
0: the entire town. Exactly.
1: <laughs> How many people had been ruined by this guy? And and Jesus said, "Well, I'm going to go have dinner with you." And yeah. having dinner in that society, that was a sign of honor, yeah, I accept yeah. you and I honor you and blah, blah blah blah. So yeah, he I I'm with you. I think and and that really ruffles a lot of feathers. You know, we have so many words now. Well, it's because
0: yeah, it's because of the weight and baggage yeah. around the words and how yeah. they're used. And and, I hate that. I hate yeah, that. yeah, because I don't. I I do think that um when I. I've said things like Jesus was radical. You know, <laughs> and he was, and yeah. but people don't like that. Yeah. Um because we don't we don't like to feel uncomfortable, but Jesus was all about making people uncomfortable. Yeah. Um not the purpose wasn't to make people uncomfortable, but he wasn't afraid of discomfort no. to do what is right and to bring God's and, kingdom and we to earth. shouldn't
1: be afraid of being in an uncomfortable position or spot, mm-hmm. right? If if we get a thought that makes us uncomfortable, I think we should explore that. That's mm-hmm. part of deconstruction. Instead of, oh, well, no, I'm not even going to Push it
0: aside. Yeah, I can't yeah. think that. Well, so let me ask, what <laughs> advice would you give to somebody who's experiencing doubts and starting to question their belief system? Mm.
1: I, I, I love to meet people in that position because, uh, one, I, I would... Tell them look me up. Let's go have a cup of coffee because mm. I love to sit and talk to people like that.
0: Me too. I'm not bonafide, but <laughs> <laughs> I
1: unless, love these conversations. Unless is very good. You just have to do it in public and where everybody else can listen to it. <laughs> um, I did write down a couple of books because I knew you were gonna um, ask me this, and really, uh, there's too many here to, to go into. But basically, anything written by Richard Rohr or Brian McLaren. Mm. Uh, or even Rob Bell. Now I haven't read his latest stuff, but his his early work I just love um, would be good. Or even Adam Hamilton yeah. um, on the stuff about Scripture and how to look at Scripture and stuff like that. Uh, Adam Adam puts out a book every other week. You know he's got I don't know machine over there. He's cranking them out. Um, the other thing I would I put on my list, it's a little bit unusual, but there's a book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. And it is a fascinating story uh, that is describing heaven and the afterlife. But it's a deconstruction story Mm. if you read it. The trouble is you have to read the whole story before you realize what you read in the beginning. It's very difficult. Most of his work is. But but my suggestion would be to start reading, right? and then selectively find one to three people that you can talk to mm-hmm. and this is the hardest part cuz you're going to get um you're going to get hurt a couple of times you're going to say something to somebody you think you can talk to and they're going to lash back at you mm-hmm. and so you have to just that that's okay yeah
0: that's i think where that's they a are. good thing to keep in mind uh, is sometimes but, when you question your own faith other people see it as a threat to their faith, right? and it's not— Or it's, they,
1: they have to save you. Yeah, <laughs>
0: and it's not about, like, it's not about you. Right. It's about them and what they're dealing right. with, and I think you just have to shake right. the dirt off your feet and but, uh, keep going. My, <laughs> other,
1: uh, my fellow classmates over at Perkins would, would beat me up if I don't also say, find yourself a spiritual director. Mm-hmm. And um, if, if you'd like me to be your spiritual director, I'd be more than happy to do that. If you if we're too close, if you know me and we're too close, because it sometimes doesn't work that way, I can certainly recommend some. Uh, but a spiritual director will give you a safe place to to explore these thoughts and questions, and without injecting their own uh, viewpoints, you know you can ask them direct questions; they'll be honest with you. But um, it, it's such a everybody, I think. Should have a spiritual director I know Daniel has one mm-hmm. uh, Other people I know in ministry Have spiritual directors It's, it's not like just because you Get the robe and the, and the Stole you know suddenly you have all the answers um, There are still Questions mm-hmm. everybody has questions So right. you just have to find a safe Person to talk to
0: Alright So is deconstruction Good or bad for my faith It's good Yeah. very
1: good so good.
0: This is one of the few questions asked on this podcast that we are providing an answer to. Yes, I think it is good. I yeah. think it's good for your faith if you're ready for it. If you're not ready for it, that's okay. Yeah. If you're never ready for it, okay. that's okay. My grandmother was so firm in her faith. Mm-hmm. And I like she had no need for stuff like this. Like mm-hmm. and and she died and she is with god i am sure of it um and so if you if you're asking questions go for it it'll only enrich your faith i I think.
1: think so i i think so not everybody does but that's okay
0: all right thanks david thank you The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by TREACH Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if TREACH could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org, and I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.